You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMS Cast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Awesome. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Dan Martell. He's my business coach. He's the founder of something called SAS Academy. And I know I say every episode the guest is special, but this guy really is. And there's a couple reasons why I joined Dan's coaching community. Uh, the, the one is I just needed to join a new tribe and hang out with other software entrepreneurs because I'm more of a rural country guy. And I found my tribe many times in life and I just felt called to do that again. Um, I love Dan's story of humble beginnings, which if you want a good example of that story, head on over to Sherry Walling's podcast, Zen Founder, uh, and search for Dan Martell. That's actually how I first heard about you, Dan. Uh, I think that was about a year or two ago. So that was where I entered your funnel, as you, as, as you might say. But really, the main reason that I chose to enroll in SAS Academy has to do with the fact that Dan is what I call full stack. I was actually looking for a business coach for many years, and I was open to it. But I, if you know me, I don't make fast decisions. So I want the, the full stack I'm talking about, there's a lot of things in the, in the stack, but the three most important are that um, Dan had three successful companies, not one. He also had some failures along the way, which is really important. So this wasn't a one-hit wonder or uh, somebody on a lucky streak. Uh, he values health and fitness, which is really important to me. And he also values relationships, so friends, family, kids, spouse. And that full stack is really important to me because if you're missing one leg of the, that stool, to me, I wouldn't feel like really supported or as inspired as I could be. So. Dan, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm really excited to get you in front of the course building, the membership site community, and the, the service professionals that serve that industry. Chris, it's a pleasure, man. I, I appreciate the, uh, I never heard all of this, your decision tree for how we ended up working together. But, um, you know, as you say that, I, I, I guess I'm just, I'm just, I just assume that everybody operates that way. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so I appreciate it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think the, the bar for this industry, coaching specifically, is definitely uh, needs to be risen higher because I just think what I do is very normal and, and I aspire to even more. And um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. Well, uh, we have a sort of weird like intersection a while back, which I want to talk about, which is just this dude named Brendan Burchard. I think it was, I heard, I was just watching Brendan's Experts Academy launch several years ago. Like I'm talking way at his first launch, like, and uh, I think that's what actually inspired me to build my first WordPress site, which set me on a path. But you, um, I know you interacted with him at some point or whatever, but how did you make, what is the story of making the transition from world-class SaaS operator to I'm going to yeah, coach yeah. SaaS, um, SaaS entrepreneurs. Yeah, Chris, your audio is kicking in and out. Let me just... For Chris here, I'm doing a podcast interview. Uh, Chris, do you hear yeah. me now? 
Yeah, five by five. All right, I, I just had to reset my Wi-Fi mesh. Um, yeah. My story, I mean, the short version is I sold my last company, Clarity, in 2014, moved to San Francisco with the family um, to kind of decompress. You know, I think anybody's built a company. That was a venture back company, grew incredibly fast for two and a half years, you know, it, you need a vacation. Um, so, so we went down there for months and, um, while I was there, I was, uh, uh, squatting at my buddy every, you know, once a week I would go in and do emails and stuff. You know, I'm still very active as an angel investor. And, uh, my buddy Chuck had this corner in his office. He ran a company called digital telepathy and, uh, he would let friends, he called it the, the Fockers, um, uh, friends of Chuck's. Right. And we'd all work in this corner. Um, and it was there that, uh, this guy introduced me, he recognized me and, and heard of clarity and he was helping a bunch of authors like, um, uh, health, health experts and, and whatnot do like book launches. And he just says to me, he's like, have you ever thought of, you know, writing a book and, you know, I, you know, I've listened to your interviews, you know, have you ever thought of doing like, um, videos or stuff like that? And I just thought it was kind of like weird. I would never, like I, at the time I'd never think of doing that. Anyways, he just kept, you know, poking at me, uh, we went out for lunch and he kind of walked me through it. And, you know, I think anybody that's ever had success, there's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of impact. And, you know, once you kind of have some level of success, then there's significance right now. I'd always derive my significance through the work I do with at risk youth and, and my local community and, and the charities I'm involved in. But I realized there was this like larger, community of entrepreneurs that I could probably serve. And, and at that point, my two boys were, um, they would be like, like eight months old and they're 11 months apart. So like eight months old in a year and a half or something like that. And I thought, well, you know what, if I could shoot videos that were to teach my kids this, these life lessons, then that would be a really good use of my time. So, uh, funny enough, I, I asked friends if there was anybody and, and this, man, you just made me remember this, this guy, Pablo, who I didn't know at the time opened up his office to let me shoot these first set of videos for my YouTube channel. And, uh, Pablo is now a friend of mine, but I didn't know him then, but he knew of me. So it's long story short, it started with my YouTube channel. I just shared everything I'd learned about life really for my two boys. And then I ran out of stuff about life and then I got into the business stuff. And then people just kept asking if I do consulting or if I'd be involved in their business. And the answer was no. And I did that for probably a year and a half. I, and, and just to give context, I've now published a video on my YouTube channel every Monday for the last four years. And I haven't missed a Monday, no matter what, like it's locked and loaded. It happens. And, um, and that just spiraled things into the first time I ever launched uh, a business program called the elite entrepreneur. Um, so the first thing I ever launched was a group coaching program for business people, entrepreneurs. There was no like niching whatsoever. And, uh, I did it for six months to, and I, it was literally an MBA. I just taught them everything I knew about scaling, growing businesses and everything, even personal finance. And I mean, it was, it was pretty much like I sat down and just dumped everything in my brain around, you know, what I'd learned, you know, reading over a thousand books, having mentors, uh, Brendan, was actually after that period, I actually got introduced to Brendan through my friend, Maltana Chidip, um, and he brought me to his 10X empire, I think it was. 
And seeing the way he delivered his training made me realize that I could actually lean into that without feeling like I have to come across with like the fancy watch. I don't like no watch. Don't wear a watch. Um, you know, I do drive a McLaren, so I do have a fancy car, but it's very rare. You'll see me post anything on social media about it. Cause I really, you know, it's, it's nobody else's business. And, um, and I just wanted my ideas to kind of like be the thing that people were attracted to and, and seeing the way Brendan did that really inspired me. And, you know, he's become a mentor over the years and, um, and many other people, but yeah, that's, that's the first thing. So I don't know how, how long, but I mean, that's where it started you know, four, three and a half years ago, four years ago with the lead entrepreneur. Well, let's, let's look at the offer that SAS Academy right now. And there's other stuff surrounding that, but what is your perfect intro? My perfect intro? Yeah. Is, is I, it depends if it's uh, somebody in the software space, I'll say SAS, but let's say I help software entrepreneurs scale their business. That's, that's my perfect intro. And as you develop your coaching offering, you have like three segments in there. And I didn't even yeah. realize there were two other ones because I was a perfect fit for the middle one. But like, talk about that. How did you, what are the segments and how did that arise as a, I'm going to create these buckets? Well, I will say it took me like two years. I mean, SAS Academy is only three years and maybe two months old. And I know that because we're now renewing year three members into the program. Uh, and that's been the last couple months. But uh, what I, I just, I struggled with it. So like I pretty much, I'm the kind of guy that when I get into business, I get nerdy about it and I get deep. So I tried everything. Okay. So you want to talk about a uh, low end digital course, got that. You want to talk about $2,000 launch, did that. You want to talk about workshops, did that. Big live events, four or 500 people did that. Um, JVs did it part, like you name it. I've, I've, dip my toes in it. Right. The only thing I've never done is like a $7 ebook. I just personally, I just couldn't get behind that one. I'd rather just give, give stuff away for free. Good idea though. Um, you know, I get the concept, but, um, it was literally probably a year and a half into doing a lead entrepreneur. I did six months and then I did another six months and then I got frustrated because I get, have to keep re-enrolling people every six months and I, I really like working with them. So that didn't make any sense. So that changed it to a year and it was half or it was towards the end of that program that I was talking to my buddy, Todd Herman, which, you know, a lot of people know that watch this. He's now become an incredible dude online author. And anyways, Todd, Todd's the one I was calling him because, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of getting advice from people who've been there before. You know, you mentioned that in regards to you, what you were looking for in a coach and Todd, uh, I remember distinctly, I was in San Francisco cause we pretty much go there every winter walking around the backyard. And he goes, why are you, why are you stepping over uh, dollars to pick up pennies? I said, what do you mean? He goes, why are you coaching uh, business people? And I go, I love it. I love entrepreneurship. He goes, yeah, but you're the only person I know, Dan, that could legitimately coach software entrepreneurs. And there's a lot of software entrepreneurs and you've done it three times and you've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and you exit, like, you know what I mean? And he's like going through this and he's like, why are you doing all, cause at the point, at that point I had like agency entrepreneurs, sign company, manufacturing, like e-commerce, it didn't matter. Like literally I just, I love business, Chris. Like I'm, I'm just a nerd when it comes to, to entrepreneurship and business. And, and I just, I thought to myself, you know, cause one question I like to ask myself is, um, 
And I got this from Dean Jackson. Yeah, Dean said this. He said, um, what would you do or how would you structure your business if you only got paid if the customer got a result? Right? So what would you offer if you only got paid at the end if they got the result? And that, and that was kind of ringing in my ear at the same time. Todd's talking to me about like software. And I just realized it was obvious. You know, it wasn't even called SaaS Academy at first. It was just a decision to say next enrollment of this thing will only serve software entrepreneurs. And I pretty much canceled that program. This thing was at the point like a million and a half revenue business, shut it down, created the new thing, didn't even have a name for it. I think at first I called it like creators or something like that. Like I didn't have a name. It wasn't called SAS Academy. You know where the name came on, Chris? Everybody kept asking me what it was. And I kept saying, well, it's kind of like a SAS Academy. And then they would call it that. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, well, why am I fighting? Because I was like trying to come up with this cooler name or something. And that's what happened is I, I literally said, I'm going to find 12 SaaS founders that want to invest at that level for SaaS Academy, restructured the whole program, added uh, three live events to it like I do today, and just really redesigned the whole thing um, to make it work. And I did that for probably a year and a half. And then from that, then I launched JFDI, which is my higher end program for entrepreneurs that are at 10 million plus. So it's, it's, Definitely a different caliber, you know, the investment's a lot higher. And it's it's smaller. It's a boardroom. We go visit SaaS companies. We go on site. I bring in CEOs of like HubSpot, Twilio, uh, Wistia, like you name the SaaS product you use. Those are the level of, of founders that I bring in in person to talk with my entrepreneurs in that program. And then uh, probably uh, two years into it, we launched the, the online accelerator the growth accelerator um i'm just live streaming this other place that's what i'm pointing there but that program was really to help folks that were pre-revenue yes but definitely focused on at least a thousand dollars in revenue trying to get to 10k a month in mrr monthly reoccurring revenue um because there was a broader audience i wanted to serve but the cool part is is that i tell this to everybody you literally i give away 98 percent of everything i know for free it's all on my youtube channel it's there 400 videos probably at this point, you can go consume it and go nuts. I've had people send me photos of their apartments filled with just sticky notes of, of diagrams and like every, they like binge watch all my videos for like three or four days and then like designed their little world. So yeah, that's the, I, I don't know. I just, that's how I, I could talk forever as you know. So those are my three programs and how they came to be. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about premium pricing real quickly. I mean, I'm in the SaaS Academy, the middle one. I take it very seriously. I would anyways, but it has a premium price tag. And I also know that you have a world-class team and you deliver a world-class experience. So it's worth every penny. But what? just tell me your philosophy around premium pricing. If there's another coach out there and they're like, I don't know what to charge or I'm maybe I have issues around like what people will pay or whatever. How do you think about premium pricing? Yeah, I mean, the reality of uh, most people, and this is SaaS too, right, is most people don't charge to the value that they create, okay? So that's just, that's nothing about my world or any, it's literally every service professional out there undervalues the value they create for the world. So there's that, and that's 100% reflected just their own um, mindset and mental scripts and internal belief systems, et cetera, et cetera, right? Many entrepreneurs, unfortunately, feel that they're like one step away from, you know, imposter syndrome, right? Where they're 
they're literally worried that somehow somebody's going to discover that they actually don't know. So it's even more pronounced when you start coaching or training, because I remember this is the hardest thing for me to overcome. When I was building software companies, that was easy because if somebody said, I don't like your product, they weren't saying, I don't like Dan. They were saying, I don't like the product. You know what I mean? But as soon as the product is you, it's your ideas, it's your packaging. And somebody says, I'm not going to buy, or I'm not going to coach with you. or I'm not going to buy your training. And all of a sudden it feels like a personal attack, right? So even because of that pricing is even harder to accomplish. Um, But what I would say is I definitely had support from really smart friends, right? People have been there before um, to give me some guidance. I also know that through my experience in pricing that the more niche you go, so niches are in the riches or riches are in the niches, right? So when I was broader and entrepreneurial, um, the, the price point was lower because, and honestly, because I couldn't go as deep as I wanted to on the specific implementations of strategies, right? So there's a very unique and specific implementation of, you know, a trial process for a SaaS than a, you know, um, retail customer experience, for example, right? So I knew that the more niche I went, the, the, the higher price point. And I also... Um, kind of just took the approach of, you know, personally, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm lucky I didn't have to do it for the money. I've never coaching for me, as you know, I have a whole team and reinvested in the process into the frameworks, the coaches that I pay to bring in. I mean, the events we do, et cetera. Um, so it was never an economic thing that I needed it to support my lifestyle. So I always just Fair, I'll start here and I'll just keep putting the prices up. Like even since you enrolled, I definitely know the, the investments have gone up and we just keep putting it up because I almost, it makes me smile to know that the people that were in early and believed early and were willing to take some risk, if you're a new thing on the market, they should get the best price, right? So um, yeah, pretty much every new person is always going to pay the most. And uh, you just, I just think people don't even consider putting their prices up. Right. So that's just the way I've always approached it. And and also ask yourself, I think from a packaging point of view in regards to like how do you how do you create a premium product is just ask yourself what what's required for your clients to get results, you know, in regards to let's call it the first hundred days, right? It's a framework that I teach. I got it from my buddy Joey Coleman. He wrote the book Never Lose a Customer. I teach it in SAS Academy. But if if you could say in the first hundred days, you know, we want to get our clients to ROI positive on their full investment for the year in the first 100 days. We say 90 because 100 is easier to understand, but 90 days. Then that way, the rest of the year is gravy. If that was the focus, what? how would you have to structure it? What would be the onboarding process, the check-ins, the accountability, the specific trainings and, and templates you would give them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think that people that aren't able or feel like they're not capable of charging a premium, it's because they don't believe in their product enough. And that's just, that's real talk. Because they essentially, you, you know, and I teach this, I love that you, you've been in a lot of my sessions. You know, the first sale that's ever made is, is to the entrepreneur and themselves about what they're selling. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, and sometimes that's not the case. They're not sold on what they're selling and that's why they, they don't feel confident about the price they're asking. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, let's get into the mix a little bit, the actual what's in the coaching offer in terms of the stack. So there's like video training content. You've got worksheets, notes, group coaching, expert 
uh, coaching, three live events. How did you assemble the like support mechanisms that surround the SaaS entrepreneur with the support they need to learn and grow? Well, I mean, I just build stuff for myself. So, and, and look, again, Chris, it's easy to look at what it is today and, and make inferences about what it was when it started. But when it first started, it, it didn't really look like it was. To, I think when we first started, there was definitely three events. There was one training per month and one group coaching per month. And that's it in the Facebook group. Um, now it's, I mean, now there's, so uh, the trainings, I mean, there's over like 260 playbooks, right? So, so just the library people come into now is just so much more robust and developed. Um, we now have strategic coaches. So we have two dedicated strategic coaches. We have what we call uh, tactical coaches. These are like Ben, our CFO coach, who's run a, you know, 150 million ARR SaaS company as the CFO. Etienne, top CTO coach out there. He's, he's exited his last company as a CTO. I mean, just like high caliber coaches. We, um, we do the three live events, but I mean, Chris, even the live events, you know, we have this, we have this rule that we're, it's one of our core values, 1% better, right? Like every time. So we always do these upgrades. Every time we do a training, we do a live event. We, afterwards we do a debrief and we ask ourselves, what are the two to three upgrades we're going to bring into the next event? Table seating, right? So assigned seating at a live event. I don't know any other, other organization that is willing to do that level of assignment, but Kelsey spends on my team. She spends like probably 12 hours an event trying to coordinate the table for each day, the two days, and make sure that people sit at tables where they're going to be around, A, people are not competitive, and B, people that are at their level, but then sometimes even at their, their company type, like the go-to-market, you know, SMB versus mid-market versus enterprise. So, I mean, just like the way I've seen the program evolve, um, it just, it makes me smile because, you know, it's, it's way better than I ever could have imagined. But in the early days, I just created a program for myself. What would I need? Um, you know, now we're doing these uh, digital breakout sessions, masterminds, I think we call them uh, skill sessions and uh, my round tables where we use the breakout rooms in Zoom virtually to deliver the same quality of collaboration and connection even throughout the year when we're not doing the three events. Um, and if anything, you know, the thing that I'm most concerned of, Chris, is not overwhelming clients, especially new ones that come in and it just feels like there's so much and they feel guilty if they're not plugging into everything. So, you know, in our kickoff calls, being very clear to let them know that, you know, this is a, um, a buffet, but we're going to design for you what you need for the first hundred days to get those results. And then we're going to reset your plan every quarter. Um, if you feel compelled to join fine, but know that you're not asked to, and you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't have time to consume, because that's not why we create those, those, those sessions. Right. But if you want to, there's something every week now. Um, so yeah, so the way I think about it is, you know, content community and coaching ask me like what, how I thought through that is I always think that people, um, they come for the content, you know, they want, they want the results, uh, usually some free content first and then they come in and say, what else you got? And then they, they, uh, win because of the coaching, right? The very contextual specific understanding of the person's position. And here's the way to move forward and get clarity and confidence to make those decisions. And then the third is community. So I always say they stay because of the community, right? Chris, you like, 
I think SAS Academy has to be the best group. And it's not touting my own horn because I have no impact to, I don't create this. You people like yourself do, but the community of SAS founders in SAS Academy is inspiring. Even to me. I mean, I didn't have this growing up. I didn't have this building my own companies. I might've had seven friends, you know, that, that built software companies. Not even when I built my first software company, I might've had one or two, you know? So being able to come into a room of all the founders in the room, you know, on the same level and, and share, you know, really personal things around struggles and situations to, to look for solutions. I think that's, that's one of my favorite parts of it. Um, that I know for me, cause I'm a bit of an extrovert that I enjoy, um, seeing people plug into it and, 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 and take advantage of. Well, a couple of quick things is, um, you definitely do a great job with the table seating and all that. And I mean, there's relationships, uh, there's people that I connect with that I've met through your program. That's a value in and of itself. And in terms of the buffet, when I got over the wall, I was actually relieved cause you're so good at sales and marketing. I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, it's legit. Like, all this stuff is here. I'm like, this buffet is legit. But I was, I was, uh, I was, it wasn't that I was concerned. I was like, this sales and marketing is so good. I, it better deliver on the other side. And holy cow, does it. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's a, it's a great buffet. Shifting gears into, into the client and the actual coaching process, how do you maintain healthy boundaries as a coach? Because if you deal with people, who are, uh, you know, in a peak performance situation or they're struggling or we're in hard times, how do you, like when you're kind of leading from the front and from the back, how do you maintain healthy boundaries between you and, and other people? You know, it's, it's, it's still a moving line for me, right? I think the last event um, was really, it was probably the hardest one just because, you know, again, I want to be in the crowd and hanging out, but at the same time, um, what's happening is there's so much going on. My team needs me. So even on breaks, like if I don't actually go back to the green room and, and chat with the team, but like the next session, we have a speaker and, you know, at lunch you have this and we're doing, you know, new person lunch and tonight's founders dinner. Cause I organize these freaking huge founder dinners, which are crazy. I mean, we pretty much have to take over restaurants and now we're thinking of having to break it up into two restaurants. Um, so, so that's been fascinating. I think that the harder part for a lot of people that are maybe like not at that scale yet is just like setting the expectations and, and creating the boundaries, um, even delivering the program. Right. So, you know, uh, the hardest part is, is I think you teach people how to treat you. So, so I got that. I forget who said, I think it might've been even Oprah of all people. You teach people, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil said it. You teach people how to treat you. He was obviously speaking in a context of, you know, personal boundaries. Um, but the way I think about it is, so for example, somebody enrolls in the program and then they email me directly asking questions. Um, I'll actually not reply, tag my assistant, you know, and I don't see these anymore anyway, but in the back in the old days, and my assistant would reply and let them know, you know, uh, because you're a client of Dan's, you actually have access to the Facebook group. All questions are being to post here. So it's really just, if it comes in here, redirect it there and do that from the beginning. Cause if you don't, then people, A, they just don't know how to connect with you. And, and if, if you've done it in the past and you stop doing it, it feels bad. 
You know what I mean, Chris? Like if you used to answer my emails, but now you're saying I'm not answering your emails. It's like, well, that's weird because you used to, right? So my whole thing is, and, and just from a service level agreement, just from a response point of view, I want to be responsive. So that's why we created, um, and I'm not going to say it publicly, but we have that email address that you know of. That goes to me and the team. That's for only for my clients. And I read every email that goes in there, even though I don't reply to all of them, but I do reply to quite a few because I'm part of the group that we get measured every week, like I teach my clients. And, um, and we push people there or we'll push them to the Facebook group to ask the question publicly. But we're very, I'm very like, if somebody sends me, you know, a Facebook message, you know, I, I don't reply there. I say, Hey, appreciate you reaching out here. This is, and I'll make my assistant will do it. Right. This is Dan's assistant. Uh, could you please? And, and, and it's funny how you just have to do that once or twice and it teaches people how to get back in the lane. And that to me is how we create our boundaries. Right. Um, cause, cause honestly, the only thing that you have as a coach is your time. And that, to me, the way it was explained to me through my, my buddy Martin, and honestly, many, many other founders have talked about this or, or coaches, is, is kind of like the people paying a premium, like the high-end, my JFDI clients, they get one-on-one -on -one time with me. Like yesterday, I spent pretty much the afternoon doing one-on-one -on -one strategic reviews on their Q2 plan, right? And I got to honor that because that's what they invested in. And if I'm, if I'm not creating boundaries for other programs, then why are they at that level if it's available to everybody? And if I'm picking and choosing, that's not fair to the other people in the program either. So it's been hard because I love to talk to everybody. Um, but, you know, at scale, I think you just, you know, luckily, I, the way I, I do it today is I have the team tell me what I'm allowed and not allowed to do. I say, treat me like the talent. I'm at your disposal. And if you catch me doing something like replying to somebody on Facebook Messenger that I shouldn't have, you have permission to slap me in the hands and, and set me straight. That's awesome. Super helpful. Um, I have a bunch more questions for you. So let's go into more of a lightning round style. Um, marketing for you as a coach, what's the number one tool you use for top of the funnel? Would you say it's YouTube, like video marketing or what? Relationships? Mm, 50, what? 50. No, it's 50-50 YouTube and uh, paid ads, Facebook. That's awesome. Um, what can coach entrepreneurs, like subject matter experts, learn from SaaS entrepreneurs? Um, reoccurring revenue. So most coaches don't create evergreen programs. So that's two problems. They don't create long-term programs, multi-year programs, and they don't create evergreen programs. So SAS Academy is a three-year program with a one-year commitment. We do have people going into year four. Um, so uh, it doesn't have to stop at three. Uh, it all depends on your structure, but I think the reoccurring component of it is really key and, um, and long-term. That's cool. One thing I've noticed about you, I kind of share this personality quality is I'm a super learner. Like I've read thousands of books. I just realized I've listened to 10,000 podcasts. I was doing the math the other day. How do you integrate all this data coming in, all this business knowledge when you're standing on the shoulders of giants into action in like a consistent way? Because you love learning. Yeah. I, I mean, I read 10 pages minimum every day, often more. Um, what I do is I just have a process. So I have a process of uh, Evernote for like online stuff, my Kindle for my book stuff. And then, um, uh, and I think the Kindle sucks for the highlight ability, but at least I know what books are context. And then what, what happens is I create the outline and curriculum for the year. 
So I'll start, I've got a Google Doc that's got like all the trainings and all the sessions and the live events. And I'll start plugging resources into each one of those sections that I want to revisit when I get there. And that's how I pull in some of the old stuff. But I don't wait till I'm doing it. I just, I, if I'm inspired, I'm like, oh, don't forget to look at that book when you, when you do that training. I'll just go and add a little note there. So that's, that's kind of how I do it. As a coach, what would be the, your first, second, and third hire to build a team? And I know everybody's situation is different, but what would you say? No, first hire is an assistant. Um, so you pretty much need somebody to support you doing the $10 task, period. So that's like editing your podcast to replying to emails, booking your travel, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, the way I look at it and I teach this is you just got to buy back your time, right? And if you, and yeah, if you can't find assistant, you can find one part-time. There's a great site that I'm involved in called delegated.com. So you can check out delegated. Um, but there's many other virtual assistant services. Uh, the second hire I would say is somebody on the marketing side. I think most coaches are probably missing that component. They need somebody that, cause it's weird selling yourself. And I it took me, dude, it took me two years just to even admit I was a coach, right? I didn't want, I was like, I'm not a coach. I have this thing called SAS Academy, but all my clients called me their coach in their blog posts and podcast interviews. So, um, so now if you go on all my social media profiles, my marketing team has made me update it and it says coach to SAS founders. So, uh, I would say a marketing person and then, um, and then third, I would say that one's difficult for me to say, but probably somebody on the project management side, right? So your assistant should be taking care of you. Your marketing should make sure your message gets out to the masses. And then your project manager should be kind of like operating all your contractors you might have at that point and the commitments you've made to a client. Maybe they're on the live sessions with you listening. In case you say like, hey, I'll send you guys all this email with this stuff, which I do all the time. So that's why I always have somebody, you know, listening to my training sessions so, so I can honor that because I think that's the worst thing you can do is say it and then forget to do it. Um, but yeah, those would probably be the three in a row I would hire. What do you look for in your program in addition to like an entrepreneur being in market or in the right niche, soft, software entrepreneur? What kind of qualities in the human being do you look for that makes a great client? Oh, well, we, we have, we have a very strict, uh, value stuff. So some of them, and I'm, I've been meaning to do this. I, I had a client recently where I fired and I haven't done a public hanging essentially in the Facebook group, you know, don't act like Joe kind of thing. His name wasn't Joe, but the idea is, um, we have a very, so in our world, our, our core customers called software scaling, Sam or Samantha, right? So, uh, they're, you know, we know how many kids they have and we know what car they drive. We know where they buy their groceries. We know literally the, whatever you want to call it, ICP, core customer, perfect fit customer, et cetera, et cetera, avatar. And, um, our enrollment specialists, our scale specialists have to, have to, have to filter specifically for SAS Academy, because that's where there's the risk of somebody being sat next to somebody that is a horrible person. Okay. Now I assume positive intent of everybody, but there is a very, there's always chances that a, not a nice person ends up in a room and that could create a very bad experience from other customers. And that scares me more than anything. Um, so yes, they're doing value checks. They're asking them questions about, you know, um, is there any other charities that you're involved in? Did you have a mentor that's gotten you to this point, et cetera? I want to hear those stories. Are they somebody that's generous? Are they somebody that values contribution? Do they, are they driven? Are they ambitious, right? Because those are things I can't 
coach to. You either come to me with that inkling and I can support it, but I'm not here. I, I only win if my clients win and I want to stack the odds in my favor and I'm very selective as to who I work with. That's awesome. If you're helping software scaling Sam or Samantha develop a high performance mindset, what's that journey like? Like, What do they need to get to expand their ability to perform as a software entrepreneur? And yeah, I think I'm, talk, I'm talking about yeah. inner game, inner game. Yeah, this is all inner game. Number one is clarity. Um, I think most people don't know what they want, right? And that's one of the first things we do in our strategic game plan sessions in SAS Academy is get real clear on the next 12 months and the next three years, right? The why, right? Not just like the tactical specific things, but why does this matter to you? Why are you the person that's going to solve this problem? What's the wrong in the world you want to write, et cetera, right? To me, clarity, it all starts with clarity. And then the second thing is confidence, right? So like, how do we structure your, your day and your projects so that you can build confidence, okay? So, so to me, I think I got this from Brendan, it's the confidence, confidence loop. So the risk for a lot of other coaches is they don't think of the customer and say, hey, I gotta get this person some quick wins to build their confidence, to build their trust in my approach to then be able to give them things that might be a little bit more, definitely more impactful, but harder to do. Let's not start there. So I'm, I'm a big fan of building their confidence. And then the third thing is courage. You know, Chris, that's why I've been doing these um, mindset videos in the morning uh, to just hopefully uh, um, agitate people into being courageous, even in the face of uncertainty, because that's the reality of where we're at right now is, there's so much uncertainty. It's hard to be courageous. It's hard to have blind faith. It's hard to jump off the cliff when you can't even see the ground, you know, to build that plane in mid flight, you know, or change the engine out in mid flight and trust that you're not going to crash. Right. So to me, those are the three things that specifically when I get my JFDI clients, that's where it's a lot more mindset. SAS Academy, yes, there's mindset because you're an entrepreneur, but it's a lot of the stuff's missing is tactical, right? Lead gen, you know, so track, convert, expand, scale is my model. Um, but when you get into the north of 6 million ARR, for the founder, it's not about implementation and tactics anymore. It's about sequencing and it's about those three C's to help them play a bigger game, right? Because they're just it's really the business is so much a reflection of who they are as a person that investing in themselves is going to have the biggest impact to their business. That is awesome. And just so you know, I'm walking my dogs in the morning when I listen to your mindset stuff right after you go, I go inside my Facebook group. And like you said, um, panic is contagious, but so is leadership. So I wanted to honor you for that. Um, I have two more questions for you, Dan. What is the role of an entrepreneur in society during crisis times? Yeah, I mean, the reality of it is that entrepreneurs, I mean, as far as I can tell, they're the only, like, an entrepreneurial mindset, right? So I think, you know, uh, people that create charities, et cetera, are still in the same vein. But anybody that creates, creators, um, they're, the, they're the problem solvers of the world, right? They're the ones that can take just a pile of crap and turn it into something useful. And I just think, you know, especially when the world is dealing with crisis, that it's our responsibility as entrepreneurs to figure out how we can leverage our, our know-how and our tools and our 
our, our, our belief systems, right? Because we approach, we have a different filter for how we see the world and connecting dots that I think it's just, it's required more than ever to be the person that can do that. Somebody said it actually today in the, in the group in reply in response to my analogy of taking a turn in, in a track, he says, um, you know, if you want to go fast, you, uh, a fast, uh, straight roads make for fast, uh, fast cars, turns make for fast drivers, right? So I think everybody felt good about their skills when things were good and the road was straight. Now that things are crazy and uncertain, et cetera, the entrepreneurs are the ones that are able to take the, the swings of the economy and the craziness of the world we're living in right now and, and get through that faster ahead of everybody to be able to show them the way. So I just think that entrepreneurs' responsibility right now is, is to lean in both through their business and also through their just know-how and their community um, to help out. Because I'll tell you, I've been, if you follow me online, you've seen some of the stuff that I've done locally in my community. Um, it, it, it otherwise wouldn't have happened and it's not because of me and being special. It's just because the way we think of solving problems is different than government organizations per se, right? We just, we don't think in limitations. Their first thought is why they can't do it. It's really interesting. Problem, we go, yeah, 14 ways to solve it. They, problem, 14 reasons we can't do it, right? Yeah. And, and it's just fascinating. So I think it's, it's our responsibility as entrepreneurs to, uh, to lean in and help more in our communities more now so than ever. That's amazing. Um, last question for you. You have a concept called R&D, which stands for Rob and Duplicate, which if you're a super learner, means you're always seeing stuff that other people are doing that you can model. You have a great podcast called Escape Velocity. I'd really encourage you that's listening to go watch the interview with Toby from Shopify. I thought it was particularly good. But at the end of your podcast, you ask a question I'm going to ask you, which is, who did you need to become to make the transition from subject matter expert to coach of subject matter expert? Wow. Nice work, Chris. Nice work. Um, I needed to become comfortable having people see me in the light of mentor and coach. I didn't feel comfortable with that for a long time um, because I, I don't think I wanted the responsibility that comes along with that. Um, you know, the, the worry that like, what if I give them the wrong advice? You know, what if they go down this path and their business falls apart? Et cetera, et cetera. I just wanted to kind of hide and say, here's, here's what worked for me. You know, try it out if you want. But unfortunately, that's just not how the world works. If you also want to have the kind of impact you want, you need to um, not only own up to that responsibility, but also, um, you know, be willing to bear that burden. And the good news out, good news is, um, if you're giving them insight into something they otherwise had no insight into, it's very rare that they're going to have a catastrophic failure because of your advice. Um, but I am careful at those moments. Like I'm not a lawyer, so, you know, verify it with your own legal counsel kind of thing. Um, but that was probably the biggest thing I, of who I needed to become. I had to become okay with being seen in society. That's the other thing, just the, um, perception of coaches is kind of like real estate agents and social media experts. Like 
there's a handful that are great. And then there's a whole bunch of them that are charlatans. And I was worried that personally people would look down on me for making that decision. Um, and that's honestly, that was probably the bigger reason why I held off so long uh, communicating that. But I also meant that, you know, I had people follow me for five years that didn't even know I had a coaching program. I'm guaranteed people are going to listen to this and go, I know Dan, I didn't even know he had what's SAS Academy. How does this work? Like, so as much as even I think I'm shining my light and living my truth, uh, I still know I could be doing more, you know, and it's just cause we, we have a belief called, um, you know, give in public, ask in private. So I'm, I don't, unlike some people out there, I don't lead with going to sell you something. I'm very much, you got to get into my world before you even find out about it kind of thing. That was amazing. Dan Martell, thank you for coming on the show and inspiring the people out there. He's from SAS Academy. Go subscribe to his YouTube channel. I've, lear I've learned a ton there. Also, two podcasts, I believe, Escape Velocity and the SAS Growth Hacking Podcast. And anywhere else that people can connect with you or final words for the people? Yeah. So Instagram stories, if you want to see the behind the scenes of my life, TikTok, if you want to just get on TikTok and see how somebody uses TikTok for business. And then um, I would say Facebook, uh, more on the family personal stuff. But yeah, I try to use every platform differently. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dan. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Chris. Thanks for the time. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.